I don't bring a new word, but rather a reminder today of our why, why we exist. It was in Jeremiah 37, 17, that Zedekiah, the king, asked, is there any word from the Lord? He asked that to that prophet Jeremiah, and I believe that there is a word that refocuses a church. It's a word that explains it all. It's a word that points us to our purpose, and today I'm going to talk about that why, our why we exist. The former president of Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee, Charles Kahn, he wrote in his book a story that he saw an advertisement in the Atlanta area for what was called the Church of God Grill. The Church of God Grill, well, he, that perked an interest, and so he called the restaurant, he spoke with the manager to get the story of, of this place, and the manager got on the phone and they spoke. He said, well, we started a little church down here and we started serving chicken dinners to pay for the church and to pay the bills. As we went along, people didn't like the church so much, but they liked our chicken. So we shut the church down and we kept on serving chicken dinners. And I'm here to tell you, you've got to know why you exist, church. You better know your why. You better know your why. It's our why that propels us into the future. In Luke 19, Jesus gave his purpose when he said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his why. And that's his why to why he came. That's why he existed. It was for you, and it was for me. It was for all of humanity. His why is wrapped up in you. You are his why. And who we are is tied to what we do. It's our mission. The fact that we are the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. That where Jesus would go on this earth, that's where we should go. And what Jesus would do, that is what we would do. Because it is his purpose. Someone say his purpose. That matters most. It's his purpose which matters most to the church, but also today I'm not just talking about the church as this entity of us. I'm talking about you. I want to talk about your purpose, your why. Proverbs 19.21 in the Amplified says this, Many plans are in a man's mind, but it is the Lord's purpose for him that will stand and be carried out. In other words, we have plans, but God has a purpose. He has your purpose in mind. He has your why in mind. We wake up with our plans, but God has his fingerprint on your purpose. He has his fingerprint from the moment you were created. For you were fearfully and wonderfully made, and you were not created just to exist, but you were created for his purpose. You were created for such a time as this to be a change in our world. Simon Sinek in his classic book, Start With the Why, he says that great organizations focus on the why and they work outward from that. It's through that golden circle that he identifies that, that communicates that it really is the why at the heart of every person that is important. And you first you focus on the why before you focus on the what and the how, that those are outflows of your true purpose. And so as a person, we don't, and as a church, we don't start with what we do. We don't start with the fact that we have church services and everything flows out from that. We don't start with the fact that we do life groups. 
we don't start with the fact that we're going to be getting something here in just a couple weeks uh, called First Steps, which is the first step for someone to get connected here at this church and come closer to God. It's not just about what we do. It's not about the fact that we teach home Bible studies. All of these things are great. All of these things are what we do. And they also are part of how we operate as a church. But really, what we have to start with on this first Sunday of 2024 is that thing right in the middle. And it is the why. It is the why behind we have services on Sunday morning. It's the why behind we gather early for prayer time. It's why we come on Wednesday nights for Bible study and why you teach home Bible studies. It's why you start a life group. The why we exist is what is important. And we don't exist to have chicken dinners, folks. I love chicken. But I exist for more. Our why follows his why. Our purpose, it's a continuation of his purpose. And you want to know what our why is? This is what it is. To lead people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the why behind everything we do. It's the why we gather. It's the why we exist. Because we are here to follow in his footsteps. To be his hands and his feet. As he said in the New Testament, to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ on this planet. We are here to convert the unconverted like he did. We are here to save a people, the lost. If you'd like to shorten it down to one word, why do we exist? We exist Not for ourselves, but we exist for others. We exist for everyone that is not here. I don't exist just for you, but I exist for everyone that does not know Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 and 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. He would go on to say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who thought himself of no reputation, but became a servant for you and I. Philippians 2, 3, that same verse in the NIV, it says, to value others above yourself. The Amplified says to regard others more important than yourself. The ESV says to count others more significant than yourself. And it really doesn't matter which way you read it. The message is the same. The Bible instructs us to view others better than ourselves, to have our focus on everyone else besides just us, besides the you four and no more, to have our focus not just on this facility, not just on the people in this sanctuary, but to have our eyes on those that are not in this sanctuary, to have our focus on those outside of these walls. We are here not just to exist for no reason. We are not here just to satisfy a habit that we've had for years and years and years. We exist not for ourselves, but we exist for others it's our why to lead people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ we have to have a love for people it's got to be at the heart of who we are the heart the innermost being of a person we cannot be filled with all kinds of junk from this world But we got to be filled with the love of Jesus Christ. It's got to be permeating through 
through us, through our hands, through our feet, through our mind, through our eyes, through our speech. There's got to be a love inside of us that is greater than the hate of this world, that's greater than all kinds of distracting visions of this world. we got to have a love for God and a love for the lost. Otherwise, there's no point in even being here. If we don't love him, if we don't love our neighbor, if we don't love those down the street, if we don't love those at Joe's bar, why are you even here? It's a quote, Mindy. <laughs> why are you here? If you are here to satisfy a habit, you can satisfy habits somewhere else. We are here for more than satisfying habits. We are here to win the lost. We are not here to satisfy generational, generational habits or generational ways of doing things. We are here for something greater than that. I'm not here to sing the same song I sang yesterday. I'm not here to necessarily have the same programs that we had in years gone by. We are here for this world. We are here for this generation. We are here to save souls, to take the gospel to the world. To be about others more than we are about ourselves. To be about the lost more than we are our calendar from 2023. Being about ourselves more, our more than our convenience and more than our Netflix shows and more than we are about posting on social media. We are here for more than any of those things. We are here to be his people. It was the very first sermon preached in America. Preached on December 9th, 1691 by Robert Cushman. Cushman was a businessman, an author, and preacher, and he came to Plymouth Colony aboard the Fortune, which sailed from England after that first deadly winter. Before coming over to Plymouth, Cushman had spent time in prison in England for his separatist religious beliefs. He even wrote a book about his experience called The Cry of a Stone, which was critical of that church of England. And when he arrived at Plymouth in 1691, he asked he was asked to preach by those there, and his sermon was titled this, The Sin and Danger of Self-Love Described in a Sermon. In that message, he would say this, that we should think about others and not ourselves, that we should value others ahead of ourselves, and that we need a love for others. It was the first sermon preached in America. It's the message that America needs to hear. It was relevant in 1691, and it is relevant in 2024, that we got to watch out for our self-ambition, that we got to be careful that we don't prioritize self above others, that we don't prioritize our conveniences above the will of God. We need to have a love for God and a love for others that changes everything about our life, that changes everything about the way we exist, the way we operate, the way we live. Amen. Philippians 2 and 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Others is the word that conquers self. Others is the word that puts self in the back seat. Others is the word that puts fourth and fifth generational preference in the back seat and puts the lost in the front seat. Others is the word that brought a savior down to earth and others is what takes a declining or a stagnant church and it turns it around. See, it's a massive shift in our minds. 
It's a massive shift that has to take place in our hearts. That we do not exist for the people inside our four walls. That we are not a country club that, that, that appeases to the paying members. We do not exist for ourselves. We exist for everyone that is not in this building. Everything we do, it's not about you. It's really not about me. It's about everyone that is not here. It is to save a world that is lost. It's a shift that has to take place that puts my selfish ambition in the back seat and puts his will in the front seat, in the driver's seat of my life. It was in the Garden of Eden when it started. When man became a little selfish. When Adam and Eve put their desire ahead of the will of God. And it was at that moment that everything shifted it was the equivalent of moving from a heliocentric, a sun-centered solar system to a geocentric, an earth-centered solar system. We put earth in the middle, and the sun is somewhere around out there. But God forbid, we, we put our desires in the middle and said, God, you're out there. We got to put God back in the center of our lives, folks. We got to put God, the sun, back in the center of it all. We need the Lord in the middle of our lives, in the middle of our plans, the middle of our families. We need him in the middle of everything to shift from, God, you're out there, to God, you are right here in the center of it all. To shift from, God, you're something that I experience on Sunday, to God, you are my driving force. You are my source that, does ever, that leads me wherever I go. You are my nourishment. God, you are my guide. And God, as we heard about last week, we talked about it last week. God, I know you're moving. So God, I'm going to be connected to that source, which is my driving force that will move me from glory to glory, from day to day, from season to season. God, I want you at the center of it all. Author David Wells wrote a series of books defining what is happening in the world as the church enters the postmodern world. It's the age that we're living in, that age that says that truth is relative, that your truth can be different from my truth, and that our truths can work together, that our truths, while different, are equal. It's the age in which the Lord will come home. It's in that fourth book in that series, it's titled Above All Earthly Powers. He describes the role of individual believers and he writes this, that most 21st century Christians are truthless and purposeless. That today's believer is more like a tourist and not a pilgrim. That today's believer is on a trip seeking experience but not journeying toward a destination. That we are self-centered spiritually. Last year I had some of our ministry readers read another book entitled The Autopsy of a Deceased Church by Tom Rainer. In it, that author, he interviewed a variety of people that were involved with churches that have closed down. They've closed the doors. Some very large churches at one time, but over time, they saw the steady decline, steady, slow death, and they closed their doors. And there was something that was that was the that was correct, it was the same in all of those churches. It was the same story over and over. One church after another. And it was this, that it was all about them. And it was not about others. 
It was about satisfying their, satisfying their wants. It was satisfying their preferences that someone had always had an accordion solo on this song, so we were always going to have an accordion solo. That we always sang this song on this Sunday, and we're always going to sing that song on that Sunday. That we've had that pulpit since 85, and we're not getting rid of it. They prioritized the things they liked more than they prioritized the lost. They prioritized the look of the sanctuary more than they cared about filling the sanctuary. They prioritized everything else except for the mission of Jesus Christ to seek and to save the lost. And every one of those churches eventually found themselves shutting their doors because when you get yourself out of his purpose, why do you even exist? If you get your eyes off on the, on the wrong thing, where are you even going? I'll tell you where you're going. You're going to a place where you only are serving chicken dinners and you're not saving the lost. Church, we got to watch out for where our focus is. We got to watch out for our why. Why do we exist? We don't exist. We don't exist for anything else but to see the lost come home, to depopulate hell and to populate heaven, to give those that are strangers and foreigners a home. It is why you and I wake up in the morning. It is why we put on our clothes and we go to work. You are not just someone who exists in this world. I'm not just a barber. I'm not just a pastor. First, I am a child of God. First, I am the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. First, I am someone who is going out into my world to be the change. You are here for others. You are not here for yourself. Everything we do is about others. Everything you should do in your life, it is not just about you. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the ministry's job. We are all the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us are, should be a part of his business. All of us should have a focus, which is him. It's him at the center of our life. It is him leading us and guiding us forward. We are here for others. A Pharisee in Matthew 22 who was a lawyer, he asked Jesus a question. He said, verse 36, Master, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love thy Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all thy mind. So this is the first, and it's the great commandment. But the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It is on these two things that we should live our life. He said that it was on these two things that hangs all the, the prophets, the law, everything. It's all encompassed into these words. If you were to shorten this Bible down to, to, two, to just a few scriptures, if I had one message I could ever preach, it would be that, to love God with everything you've got and to love your neighbor as yourself. Because out of those outflows everything else. It is your why to love him and love others and According to Luke's gospel, when this was said, the lawyer, willing to justify himself, followed with another question. He said, who is my neighbor? In verse 29, and Jesus answered with the story of the Good Samaritan. 
that hard story for us to read, that hard story to compare our life to. The Samaritan did what the priest and the Levite wouldn't do. He helped the man, the wounded man on that Jericho road. And after telling the story, the Lord looked at that lawyer and asked him, who was the man's neighbor? And he said, he that showed mercy on him in verse 37. And then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. As I said, it's a hard story for us to look at. It's a hard story for me to even preach and to teach because I have to look at my own life and I've got to see my failures and I got to see the times that I've stayed on the other side of the road, the times that I have with willful blindness missed what God was wanting me to do. And as I read the story, I was impacted by this fact that the priest and the Levite believed that ministry was confined to a church context. That ministry shouldn't happen outside of the four walls of where they minister. That there was this sacred, secular divide that, you know, I'm, I'm at work now. I'm living my life now. I can't be, I can't be what I'm supposed to be because I'm, I'm at church, I'm this way, but in my world, I'm this way. There was a divide there. But there's not to be a sec- sacred, secular divide in any one of us. We should remove those terms from our existence, that we are the same person in this place as well as we are the same person out of this place, that our purpose while we're here is the same purpose that we have when we're out there, that while we are here, we have a mind towards others, that when we are out there, that we also have a mind towards others, that while we're here, we have a heart for love for others and we love people greater than ourselves. that out there that we have a heart greater for others more than ourself. Your why exists beyond the walls of this place. You are a child of God. You are someone who God has called for such a time as this, as he did Esther of old. You are his his, his creation that he is destined for this post-modern age. That means that he sees something in you. He sees something that can operate through you. And I think that which he wants to see in you and through you is his love for others. It is a love for him and it's a love for everyone else. It's a love that God has put inside of you through his spirits. That we don't exist for ourselves. That we exist for others. Would you stand across the building today? Napoleon Bonaparte is quoted as saying this that a leader is a dealer in hope. That our world is filled with people searching for something greater than themselves. Brother Darren taught it today in Sunday school. To keep hope alive. And there is hope. And it's wrapped up in the man Jesus Christ. And I believe that hope rests inside of every single one of us. That hope is found not out there. But that hope is found not in here. Well, I believe it is. But hope is found right in 
here. Right inside. It's the why we do life groups. It's the why that we come on to, at 9.30 on a Sunday morning and 10.30 for our worship service and 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night. It's why that we, we gather. It's why we do what we do. It's why we have prayer service. It's why we have next gen. It's because there is a hope, and his name is Jesus. And we believe that that which is inside of us that Holy Ghost is more powerful than all the workings of the world that is around us. That there is something greater in me that is greater than that which is in the world. That there is a power in me that can change lives. It's not found out there. It's found in the heart of every single one that has been born again by his blood, that has been born again by his water and by his spirits. There is hope inside of us. Seventy years ago, a story was written in a prison reform manual. It was about a prisoner that was headed home. And he was asked by a fellow passenger, where are you going? He said, I'm going home. And the man asked him, have you been gone long? He said, I have. They would continue to speak, and the story would be wrote down. He said, I served time in prison out of state. He said, I was an embarrassment to my family. He said, my folks live far away with limited means. They never visited me in prison. They were illiterate, and so no letters were ever exchanged. Prior to my release, the warden was good enough to sent a message to the postmaster near my home with this message from me to my family that if you would have me, if I wasn't too much of an inconvenience, if I wasn't too much of an embarrassment, that while I come home on the train, you would go down to the oak tree that is down just past the railroad bend and that you would tie a single ribbon on that tree. You know the story, the song. I'm sure you've heard it. That when he saw that ribbon, it would be a message to him that he was welcome home. And that if he didn't see that ribbon, he wouldn't be an embarrassment to his family. He wouldn't be an inconvenience to them. And he would just stay on the train. He would go to the next stop. He would go to the next place and start a new life. But when he rounded that bend looking, he didn't see a single ribbon. Rather, his parents, they had been going consistently, tying ribbons to that tree, and word got out in the community. And soon everyone in the community began tying ribbons around the tree. And so when he got to that village, he looked out the window and he saw a tree full of yellow ribbon, full with a message saying that you are welcome here. Yellow is the, it's a symbol of hope. For the sun is yellow and in heaven we know there will be no sun, but he will be there to light that place. 
In that same way, that light of the world was represented as the hope of humanity in that color of yellow. When I heard this story for myself, I, with several others in a, in a service, I got a yellow ribbon, as well as many others in that gathering. We put these yellow ribbons in our Bible to serve as a reminder of our why. That we do not exist just for ourselves, but we exist for everyone that's rounding that corner on that train looking to belong. I've had these men put yellow ribbons across this altar today. And if you want to live for something greater than yourself, if you want to live for something more than just existing and having chicken dinners, living your life, I hope in 2024 that we marry ourselves to his purpose for our life, that we marry ourselves to his why for us, that we marry ourselves to the lost, to those that are not here, those that we don't know. I see a church that isn't here yet. I see people in this sanctuary by faith that don't occupy a pew right now. I see faces, I don't know their name, I don't know who they are, I don't know where they're coming from, but I want to be a symbol that says, you belong here. I want to be a person that says, come in to my city, come in to my church, you belong here. Because we do not exist for ourselves, we exist for others. I'd invite you to this front, and I hope that all of us come and grab a yellow ribbon that maybe you would place it in your Bible, place it somewhere as a symbol to you every single day when you open up that word, why I am here, why I exist. It is not just for myself, but it's for the person down the street. It's for my neighbor. It's for my friend. It's for my family member. It's for my coworker. It's for those that I don't know yet. It's for those whose faces I am not familiar with yet. I exist not just for myself, but I exist for others. I am here for a purpose that's bigger than my plans. I'm here for a purpose that's greater than my agenda. I am here for someone who needs hope. And I have hope inside of me. In the name of Jesus, once you've got your ribbon, would you just pray a prayer of dedication? over yourself, a prayer of dedication over your family. Maybe lift that yellow ribbon up and say, God, I am here not for myself. God, I am not here just to exist. I am here for others. I'm here to save someone that I don't even know yet. I'm here to save someone that I've not met with. God is putting a burden on someone today. God is unleashing a burden on someone's life that they've never had before. God's putting a burden on your heart for someone. You see someone's face right now. Don't fight it. Don't, don't have excuses, but be love to them. God, I give you everything today. I give you my plans, my purpose that was I was formed by myself. God, I hand it over to you and say, God, I want your why to be at the center of me. I 
want your why to be at the center of my heart. God, I build my life on you. God, I build my hope on you. I build my my, my family. I build my calendar. I build my finances. I build it all on you, Jesus. You are the center of it all. Oh, Jesus, give us a burden today. Jesus, give us a burden like we've never had before. God, let us have a burden and a heart for people like we've never had in 2024. God, let us be your church. Let us be your people, your hands, your feet, to go into the highways and the byways, to be those that you see. 